I didn't get any bread. Just forget it. Let it go. <laughs> um, excuse me. I, I think you forgot my bread. Bread? Two dollars extra. Two dollars? But everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. Three dollars! <laughs> what? No soup for you! But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hey folks, how you doing? My name's Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And this is a bonus episode that everyone is getting at the same time, not just our Patreon subscribers, uh, but pretty much everyone, yourself as well, which is fantastic. Uh, we are re-gifting to you the Soup Nazi and its secondary characters. And uh, Stephen, why are we doing this? Yeah, so the, the Soup Nazi was our very first episode we recorded and released back in March 2017. And because it was the first podcast that either of us did, um, we were a bit nervous, me more so, because you had a bit of radio experience. Um, and listening back to it now, it's a bit sloppy and it's a bit awkward and we were just kind of fumbling around. We didn't really do any rehearsals or demos. We kind no. of just hit record and started talking. Um, yeah. And we wanted to, because it's such a well-known episode and I would argue that the Soup Nazi is probably the most well-known secondary character other than maybe Newman in the show. Yeah. Um, and it's considered such a classic episode. You know, it always appears on the top of lists and the best of and bests of and stuff like that. Um, and for our own sake as well and for the listeners' sake, we just wanted to redo it um, in a high-quality way because, yeah, you know, we're definitely. a lot better at podcasting now. We're a lot more confident. Yeah, we've done it for over two years now. Yeah, and we're, a lot, better. we're a lot more in sync. Yeah. And uh, what we're saying about the characters might not change too much. No. Um, but we just wanted to... It, it's kind of like, if you could consider it, that was our, like, rough demos and this is our, like... Major major label. Major label, studio. yeah, that's right. That, <laughs> was, that was like our EP demos, yeah. and this is like our this full is, that, LP. Yeah, full that was album, our demo yeah. tape, and this is our full-length major label release, yeah. even though we're recording in the same studio <laughs> yeah, exactly. with basically the same equipment. <laughs> the same place, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but so, a lot has happened in two years, and uh, obviously, you know, if you go back and listen, a lot of things, amazing things have happened for this podcast. Um, but, yeah, we also want to do it as more of like a better entry point in the series because yeah. we felt like if you know a lot of people listen to new podcasts and they'll go from episode 1 and we didn't want people to kind of be put off by us and say, oh, God, is this what you sound like? Jesus, I'm not even going to bother. You know, with people like, you know, who you're listening, people who are listening to us now like yourself, um, you would have gotten onto us either in a later episode or in most recent or maybe... You know, after listening to our Soup Nazi preamble that we recorded about a year and a half after we did the episode, you probably thought, oh, look, I'll give these guys a chance. And you found out that we actually got a lot better, which is good. Um, so, yeah, we what we're doing with the Soup Nazi, the old episode, is we're going to um, put a note in the show notes saying, hey, this is an archived episode. We've done a, a revised episode of it. Please go and listen to it. And uh, we're going to put archived in brackets uh, in the title as well. So, yeah, I mean, you've got three reasons not to listen to that episode and uh, listen to this one instead. And like Stephen said, the Soup Nazi is such an iconic character and we kind of wanted to give him justice yeah. as well. And maybe down the line, we'll probably go back to a couple of older episodes that we've done that I think need a bit of a refresh and maybe eventually we'll re-gift them to you as well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's not to say the information or the, the secondary character kind of synopses that we came up with in that episode, I think are really good. Yeah. They still kind of hold up. They are, yeah. Actually, I think we put more thought into those <laughs> characters. We're, like, we talked a lot about... Oh, yeah, we went Sam. for ages. Like, yeah. I think that episode went for like an hour and a half or something. Yeah, yeah, Goodness. yeah. Um, so the, the quality of the information is as good as I think we've ever done, but it's just the delivery yeah, is a bit Yeah, it was a bit, a bit crap. Cool. So we're going to bring all that to you. Delivery, 
and the uh, secondary stuff. That's right. <laughs> well, let's kick on with it. Yeah. Uh, so normally we start our episodes with Seinfeld news and Seinfeldism, but segments, we've yeah. just literally finished recording another episode, so we don't. Nothing happened in the last five minutes yeah. in Seinfeld world or in our personal lives. So uh, we'll just start with the episode itself. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, take us through a synopsis. Yeah. So season seven, episode six, "The Soup Nazi," first aired in the US on November second, nineteen ninety-five. Directed by Andy Ackerman, written by Spike Ferriston. Uh, Jerry, George, and Elaine visit a new soup stand that Kramer's been. Jerry explains that the owner, Yev Kasim, he's played by Larry Thomas, is known as the Soup Nazi due to his temperament and insistence on a strict manner of behaviour while placing an order. At the soup stand, George complains about not receiving bread with his meal, and uh, Yev Kasim is basically like, you want bread? Three dollars. First he wants two. Yeah. And then George says, but everyone else got bread for free. Three dollars. Three dollars, that's right. <laughs> I love I love how he just ups his price. <laughs> I know, it's so good. He's like, screw you, man. Um, en route to the soup stand with Jerry and George, Elaine notices a man on the sidewalk with a giant armoire for sale, offering it for 250 bucks, but she gets the nice face discount and gets it for 200 Her building superintendent informs her that furniture move-ins are not allowed on Sundays, so she asks Kramer to watch the armoire and promises to get soup from the soup Nazi for him in return. Uh, Kramer, he gets, well, supposedly mugged by Bob and Cedric, uh, two very uh, flamboyant, <laughs> tough dudes, you'd say. Yeah, street toughs. Street toughs, yeah, the street yep. toughs. And I love this. And, and Jerry's like, so they only wanted the armoire. They didn't want any money. Yeah. And Kramer's like, yeah. And he's like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> On a subsequent visit, George manages to buy soup, but Elaine, ignoring Jerry's advice on how to order, quickly draws Kasim's ire, and she's banned for one year. You're going back one year? Come back one year. Uh, Jerry and his current girlfriend, Sheila, are very played good. by... Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. you. Classic. Yeah. Adios, muchacho. I love, I love that little <laughs> smile he's got. It's like, very good. Yeah, very, very good. good. <laughs> you know, she thinks that, you know, he, yeah, she's, that he's won, in, yeah. that she's won him over with, yeah, her, yeah. with her humor and her Al observations Pacino and her Pacino yeah. comparisons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just, nope. <laughs> no, it doesn't want a bar of it. Uh, Jerry and his current girlfriend, Sheila, played by Alexandra Wentworth, visit the soup stand. Uh, Sheila's also known as Schmoopy. Uh, the Nazi is repulsed by their public displays. The soup Nazi. The soup Nazi, yes. I think it's important to call him the soup Nazi, not the Nazi. Yeah, so Kasim, <laughs> I should say, is repulsed by their public displays of affection. So Jerry disavows knowing Sheila to stay on Kasim's good side. Jerry talks about the situation with George, who has expressed disgust at Jerry's baby talk. People that do that should be arrested. <laughs> George considers this and begins to behave similarly with Susan to express his disgust. Susan instead takes this as a sign of George expressing their love in public. Kramer is actually friends with Kasim and they talk about different things and he tells him about the armoire theft and uh, Kasim offers him an antique armoire in his basement. Kramer delivers it to Elaine and Kramer or Elaine is very happy and surprised and uh, she decides to go to the soup stand to thank him and Kasim looks at Elaine and realises at her and says if it was you I would have gotten a hatchet and smashed it to pieces. Oh, smashed it to a thousand, thousand pieces. pieces. Yes. Uh, Elaine returns to the soup stand with the recipes that she finds in the armoire and uh, intent on ruining his business in revenge for mistreating her and uh, yeah, it's implied that uh, Kasim is out of business. And uh, soup Nazi. Next. Next. I know, in an iconic ending of the series. I would say that that freeze frame of Elaine's face is the best ending shot that I can think of and in the whole actually, show. And it's actually one of the only endings where one of the Seinfeld cast actually get their comeuppance. Yeah. I mean, not their comeuppance, but they actually get their revenge. Yeah. 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 And it's, and it's like a good ending for Elaine. Yeah. Bad for Jerry, but... 
<laughs> Great for Elaine. Not good for uh, Kasim. I, I mean, it worked out for Elaine, but I thought unfairly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like getting kicked out of a soup store for disrespecting the protocol doesn't mean you can go in there and literally ruin this man's livelihood. Like, that's a pretty fucking drastic pretty dra- response. Pretty drastic call, I know. Especially even after uh, Jerry tries to do the right thing and begs Elaine not to... I mean, he's thinking of himself and his soup. He doesn't actually care about... Yev, he just wants awesome soup. Yeah. But, you know, Jerry tries to sort of um, convince her to not um, go into the, into the, into his store. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty vicious response. Pretty full on. Yeah. I know, I know. Beastly. Yeah. Anyway, um, Jerry encounters Newman, who's running to get a pot from his apartment. Newman tells him that because of what Elaine said to Kasim, he's giving away whatever soup he has left, closing down his stand and returning to Argentina, a reference to the rumor that Nazis fled to Argentina after World War II. Uh, Jerry quickly runs home to follow Newman's lead. Uh, other secondaries include uh, Yule, Vasquez and John Paragon. They play Bob and Cedric, uh, the flamboyant <laughs> Thieves, Street Tufts. Street Tufts. Uh, Kenny Banya makes another appearance. He, uh, he's played by Steve Heitner, of course. Uh, Vince Malocchi plays the furniture guy, the guy who sells the armor to Elaine. And Tom Barry plays the building superintendent. Now, some trivia for the episode. This uh, soup Nazi was based on a real-life soup Nazi, Al Yeganar. Uh, he's the real-life owner of the Soup Kitchen International in Manhattan, New York City. And uh, I think we have mentioned in uh, Seinfeld News segments, especially in our older episodes... Uh, about him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He wasn't too happy with his portrayal in the episode. Yes. And uh, I think during production for this season or maybe the season after when Jerry came in with, uh, I think, Larry David as well and the production crew, mm-hmm. they actually went into his soup store to get some soup and he recognised uh, the... Uh, what's his name again, sorry? Uh, his name was Al Yeganar. Yeah, he recognised Jerry yeah. and he was really, really pissed off about his portrayal yes. as a sort of, you know, just a, a nutcase. Yeah, and after and Jerry offered an apology, he literally yelled to him, no soup for you, yeah. and ejected them from his restaurant. And any references to Seinfeld, they're actually forbidden in any soup kitchen international. Yeah, right. Yeah, so you can't mention any... Soup Nazi, no soup for you. Nothing. No. Nothing. Can't do it. You think it cap like even though he's unhappy with his portrayal, that's fine. But yeah. you think he could sort of for the for the sake of his business just put his emotions aside and capitalize on it? Like he could still be pissed off about it but turn it into a positive for him. Like take some of the power back. Mm, yeah. But you know, uh, obviously, his reputation is more important than his uh, bank account. Definitely. He wasn't really keen at all. No, no, nah. no. Um there, I mean, it's not trivia per se, but it's pretty well known that uh, Larry Thomas kind of capitalised on his character as well, and he makes a lot of appearances as the Soup Nazi at events and Seinfeld-themed events and stuff like that. Yeah. And there is actually a range of Soup Nazi soups, but they're called Soup Man soups. Mm. Um, and I think initially you could only order them online, yeah. and for a while it may still be the case because they've had a pretty checkered history like financially. They've yeah. gone into receivership and mm. yeah. changed owners and sort of th- there was fraud, I think, with their uh, CTO. Mm. Uh, sorry, their CFO yeah. a year or two ago. I think he went to court maybe even to jail for uh, tax evasion. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure of the current status of the business or what they do, but I'm pretty sure for a time you could order them online and they were available in stores as well. <laughs> so he did kind of cash in on it. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, he did. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if it was him or if he licensed. I, I, again, it's a pretty sort of colourful checkered history, but if you just go to the Wikipedia page or their their uh, business webpage, you can yeah. you can check it all out. You'll find it. Yeah, so he's, he's a very controversial figure in real life. Too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, Larry Thomas, who played the Soup Nazi, he based his accent on Omar Sharif in Lawrence of Arabia, oh, 1962 film. I haven't seen that. Uh, JLD had never seen Scent of a Woman prior to the episode, and uh, she had to be coached on how to do her Al Pacino impression. Hoo-ah! Hoo-ah! 
Yeah, she's <laughs> like, who are we? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Uh, and the soup Nazi offers the following 11 soups from his menu, if you look at the board. Uh, Malagatoni, well, I think that's his specialty. Uh, crab bisque, turkey chilli, jambalaya, Newman's favourite. Uh, black bean, chicken broccoli, clam bisque, split pea, French onion, mushroom barley, and tomato rice. Okay. There you go. But um, he he has a soup, maybe his menu changes every day or a couple do, because he has a lima bean soup, but that's not on the menu. No, it's not. But even though uh, Elaine comments on the lima bean. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just got lima beans in it, but maybe the name of the soup is something else. Maybe. You know, maybe it's blah, 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 but it's got lima beans as an ingredient. <laughs> it's probably bad. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, should we take a quick break and uh, we'll talk about some secondaries? Sounds good. All right, we're talking about... Well, we're re-gifting to you the Soup Nazi and its secondary characters as a bonus episode. What is this? You're kissing in my line? Nobody kisses in my line! I can kiss anywhere I want to. You just cost yourself a soup. How dare you! Come on, Jerry, we're leaving! (laughs) Jerry? Do I know you? We are redoing our first ever episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, The Soup Nazi, and we've gone through a plot synopsis as well as some trivia about the episode. And, uh, Stephen, let's talk about the man himself, probably the most famous one-off secondary character on Seinfeld, Yev Kasim, a.k.a. The Soup Nazi. Not including his appearance in the finale. No, of course. Uh, Played by actor and director Larry Thomas, he's appeared in the films Postal and Austin Powers, and he's been in the TV shows Arrested Development, CSI, and Scrubs. Uh, Yeah, so Yev Kasim, I think when we did our first episode, we talked about the fact he's an immigrant, possibly from, I think it was Turkey? I think he said, was it Somewhere in the Middle East. Somewhere in the Middle East, yeah, so he came here for... Even though Turkey's in Europe. Yeah, he came here for a better life, and I'm pretty sure we said that he was a chef or a cook, over there, and he decided to come to America to bring his uh, his goods. And he's obviously really well-traveled, because Malagutani is actually an Indian soup. Uh, I think he's probably traveled a lot of the world, and he's uh, developed a lot of uh, flavors, and he's also uh, taken... Uh, you know, different soups and dishes from other countries, and uh, yeah, he's kind of made it his own. Yeah, I I don't think we talked about, I guess, his philosophy of soup. I think he's a real traditionalist. Mm. You know, a lot of people, they open a restaurant and they might do cuisines that aren't of their native country or of their training or background, and they kind of put their own twist on it. Like, yeah. you know, uh, someone from a country might from another country might open a Mexican restaurant and it's it tastes like Mexican but it's not authentic authentic traditional no, Mexican no. I reckon uh, Yev would be you know Malagatani is an Indian soup I reckon he'd make it as close to uh, possible you know the, it would be as original as he could possibly make it yeah um, given the fact that he's a non-Indian man <laughs> in New York yeah and that's the same with all of his other soups as well yeah indeed because he's yeah. quite a he's quite a stickler for, for sort of you know yeah, for, for, for fundamentals and for things to be right and yeah. for things to be correct. And I think that would reflect in his soup. Yeah, absolutely. He yeah. wouldn't just take it and sort of make it his own. I think he'd, he'd honour, you know, whoever trained him or who, wherever he got that recipe from. And uh, like Kramer said, he's a real soup artisan. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. He really has a lot of passion for his soup. Yeah, he respects yeah. the... I, I think he respects the history and the tradition of each individual soup. I think he almost sees soup as his children. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you it's know, kind he, of... There's a bit of him in the soup. Yeah. But that's what Kramer says too. There's a bit of him in the soup. Yeah. I think something He like sweats that. for his soup. Yeah, yeah. He bleeds for his soup yeah, or something yeah, like something that. Like that. Yeah. yeah. He demands yeah. perfection. Uh, from, w- oh, he demands perfection from himself and his soup. How could uh, he expect any less from his customers? I wouldn't eat the tomato rice flavour though. There's <laughs> probably a bit of his blood in it. Oh, that's yeah, why it's yeah, red. yeah. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, mm. 
I think we also said, and I haven't really changed my uh, tune on this, I think he's from a military background. Yes, he is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we said that he served in the special forces Yep. Uh, in Turkey or whatever country he was. He probably got deployed to other countries yeah. as well. And he was probably even the chef as well. Yeah. You know, it's obviously in the army, you have different roles and chefs, musicians, and even those sort of people turn up at the army uh, in the base. So, uh, yeah, he was probably the chef. Yeah. Hmm. And that explains his very militant approach to running a restaurant. Everything is clean and yes. perfect and precise. Yep. Everything is orderly. Extremely, and, He's an extremely disciplined man. Yeah. And yep. any deviation from it, I mean, he can tolerate a tiny bit of deviation. Yeah. You know, he can t- t- tolerate a tiny bit of conversation and a tiny bit of self-expression, but anything that's overstepping the line, you're out. You're out. Yep. There's no there's no compromise. No, definitely. Yep. Mm, yeah, so, um, yeah, he's a very, um, very, I wouldn't say a torn man, but I think... He's a tortured man. He's a tortured man, yeah. I, I said in the first episode we've done as well that the reason why he hates other people and he likes Kramer is I think maybe Kramer helped him with something. Yeah. Uh, I th- I said something along the lines of, I think Kramer, I think maybe Yev was about to be in an accident or something and Kramer went to rescue him or... Maybe. Almost like a life debt. Yeah, he's like a life debt, so he kind of owes his life. So Kramer's the only person that Yev will talk to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he even talks to his staff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even if uh, Kramer didn't do something uh, huge to save his life, I think out of all the characters, Kramer has the biggest chance of getting to know him because Kramer just has this uncanny and magical ability to befriend people who wouldn't ordinarily want to be friends with normal people, mm. you know, because he's a bit weird. Uh, even in a show full of weirdos, I think people are attracted to that. Yeah. You know, so even if even if they just met organically, like even if he came into the soup store, I could imagine them developing a friendship anyway. Mm, yeah. You know, because Kramer's got that ability. Yeah, he does, yeah. yeah. And, and we always say that Kramer, you know, makes friends with the oddest people. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah soup Nazis, would, I guess, would be defined as odd. Yeah, and Kramer, Kramer is, you know, uh, he's not perfect, but he has an ability to see people for who they are mm. beyond beyond their superficial kind of quirks sure and oddities is. that turn people off oh, he yeah. can he can get at the heart of people mm, so definitely. and he's not a judgmental person he's very accepting for of you know of people for who they are yeah. including the soup nazi yeah he sure is yeah i think he would he would be the only one that wouldn't be afraid of the soup nazi he would be able to see his pain mm. and try and figure out a way to to sort of connect with him rather than just be turned off by his abrasive you know demeanor in his soup in his uh Soup restaurant. Yeah, in his restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine how successful he would have been if Elaine didn't uh, take the uh, recipes. Well, yeah. that actually, that that's kind of, uh, that kind of makes sense. Well, that kind of adds to Yev's character as well. He's just so complacent. He like leaves his secret recipes in an armoire in the basement. You yeah. think he would have stored them in a filing cabinet or put them away? Put or them maybe in a safe. A safe, definitely. I mean, yeah. that's probably a million dollar idea. All that those recipes. Basically, got gold bars. Even, yeah, even Elaine says that she can just distribute it to every restaurant and she does. food critic in the world. And yeah, that should be good. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit out of character for Yev because he's so disciplined. Mm, um, yeah, you know, I mean, everyone makes mistakes, but for something that precious, something that has created his livelihood and his reputation. You think he would guard that shit with his life, not oh. just carelessly give it away in an armoire. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's well, he doesn't have a family, I assume, but you know, that if he ever had children or something, that's kind of their legacy, legacy you know? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Crazy. Um, the final point that I had about Yev is, and I kind of just thought about this on the fly. Um, you know, you saying that he would have been really successful um, as a businessman if Elaine didn't spoil it. I think he only would have kept one shop anyway. 
even if even if he had the opportunity to to franchise or to expand, it would have been like McDonald's was in the fifties. You know how the McDonald's brothers wanted to keep the one restaurant, and yeah. then that croc guy wanted to expand, and they said, "No, we just want the one restaurant, yeah. and make it good." Yeah, I think yeah. he would rather just one amazingly tight, pure restaurant. Yeah, that is that would get lines out the door. Yeah, yeah, rather than franchise it out because I think that would be a loss of control for him. Yeah, even if he ran a really tight ship as a manager, mm-hmm. he's not in there cooking the soup. You know, the the bigger the the bigger the business gets, the less control he has over it. Yeah, and I think he just, with his controlling precise nature, he just couldn't tolerate that. <laughs> and I think he'd rather, yeah. yeah, I think he'd rather just have quality over quantity. Mm. You know, not just in his soup, but in his presence. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I don't think even if, I'm sure he's been offered many many times. You know, because that sort of shit could be. I mean, it's an easy setup. It's not a complex restaurant. He's just selling soup out of a out of a bain marie. Like it's not a not a complex setup. No, that could be copied and pasted all over the place. But the fact that he's putting all this passion into it and he's clearly got talent or culinary talent. He'd have the highest standards and Mm. the quality control wouldn't be satisfactory for him. Even if he got really qualified chefs to emulate his recipes in other uh, (laughs) soup kitchens um, and restaurants, it wouldn't be good enough for him. He wouldn't have Poppy working there, that's for sure. No. no. (laughs) Oh, imagine him and Poppy. Oh, no. Poppy kind of is a bit soup Nazi-ish, you know, in that he's very precise in that uh, pizza has to be made only a very certain yeah, way. Yeah, that's right. Yes, you know, but he's a traditionalist because he's Italian, and I understand he's protective <laughs> over that. Yes. Um, but you know, I think I think they would clash sometimes, but also agree on some other things. Like yeah, it has yeah, to be yeah. done authentically, but maybe uh, not so much in the hygiene policies. No, no. But I think Yev <laughs> likes working alone. Yeah. I think he's the one that just puts the soup together, and he's just got his staff and his orderlies to yeah. pack it all up. I can imagine his only other kitchen staff maybe being like a dishwasher, maybe, yeah. or like someone who cuts the veggies, like yeah. something that anyone could do. It doesn't affect. Like if you chop the onions slightly wrong, it wouldn't affect the flavor of the soup. Mm. But when it comes to actually making the soup. No, no That's one, him. no one can touch it. That's right, just him. And the only other staff he has is the woman at the counter. That's right. And I don't think she even says anything. She just Takes snatches the, the bag and yeah, gives the money back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No seat for you. No Next. seat for you. And I think in the background, there's maybe someone out the back. You can kind of see them blurrily. He's in probably the, the dishwasher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it would right. be super tight ship, minimal staff. Yeah, I think he likes having. I think, like you said, I think he likes having control. Yeah, and he likes everything to run really smoothly. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Like his soup. Like a, like his Malagatani. Like a military. Uh, set up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's all I had about Yev. Do you have anything else? Uh, no, but I really enjoyed his character, obviously. And uh, yeah, he's really iconic. And I love how Yev is like, you'll see people, you meet people who've never watched Seinfeld or maybe watched one or two episodes. And they'll and you'll say, oh, what character do you remember? They'll say, oh, the Soup Nazi. Yeah. He's definitely a good entry point into the series. For sure. And, and, and the episode overall is really great too. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. And the term no suit for you or no whatever for you <laughs> has just sort of permeated common vernacular. People That's right. say it all the time. Like I've heard non-Seinfeld fans or people who don't really care about Seinfeld may have seen, you know, five or ten episodes yeah. or know the general gist of the show. <laughs> They'll still say no ice cream for you or no a pencil for you or no sleep for you, <laughs> no, whatever it is. And it's just, it's kind of like dough and Larry, Homer, yeah, you know, and like yeah, it's just a common term. It's iconic. It's an iconic '90s phrase. Yeah, and um, and Larry Thomas, he's still actually rocking it as a, as the Soup Nazi. Yeah, well. he still uh, dresses in character in some events, which we've covered in the past. And, yeah, uh, he's still he's uh, loving it, and that's definitely his most uh, iconic role. Definitely, and nothing will ever surpass it. He even um uh is a what are they called a celebrant at weddings yeah he is yes one of our I think was it one of the guys from Signcast or one of our Instagram no, followers no it wasn't Signcast it was, a, it was a, a follower on Instagram and I think yeah. he does listen oh jeez 
I forgot his name. Sorry, I can't remember his name. you'll He's know who you are. But yes, he did have uh, Larry Thomas as his celeb- he officiated celebrant his at his wedding. His yes. wedding, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how good's that. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I think, and then a week or two later, we got in touch with him. I'm like, hey man, do you want to do an interview? And he's like, I'm very busy for the rest yeah, of the year. Go so away. So basically, like, go away. Yeah. No interview for you. No That's interview. Exactly for you. how he said it. Yeah, exactly. How he said it. You yeah. come back one year. One year. And yeah. you want an interview? Hey, it's almost three minutes. It's almost been about a year. True. We should try again. Yeah. Probably even busier. He probably is now. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Why don't we talk about Schmoopy? Yes. Or Sheila, Sheila. Uh, played by Alexandra Wentworth. Uh, she's appeared in the films Jerry Maguire, It's Complicated, and a video or a, a film which we have actually reviewed on Patreon exclusively to our subscribers, Trial, Trial and Error. Error. Trial and Error, yes, she was Def, Jeff Daniels' uh, fiance. Uh, and TV shows including Head Case, In Living Color, and The Good Wife. Uh, yeah, Sheila, um, yeah, she's really affectionate, and uh, it's surprising that Jerry is actually into it too. You think Jerry would be a bit standoffish with that sort of thing? Yeah, there's it's something really, uh, really out of character. Yeah, there's something that she does, or that she there's something that she has over him. Yeah, she has this it, kind of effect on him. Yeah, that he's completely breaking character, and he's super affectionate. Normally, he's very cold. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, in the end, he ends up choosing soup. So he does <laughs> he does revert back to his he normal does it shitty twice. self. He does it twice. At but first, he he picks the soup over yeah. her, and then she forgives him off screen, and then Jerry says to George, "Oh, we broke up." Yeah, and obviously, he picked the soup again. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. I think they did it again, and I think Sheila probably said, "Look." It's either me or the soup. Yep. And I reckon Sheila couldn't hold back kissing Jerry and stuff. And then Jerry's like, oh, nah, seriously. <laughs> yep. I, I can't do this again. I'm You're sorry. not worth it. Nah. Yep. Sorry. And it might have changed his mind as well after George pulled him up about how their affection makes other people uncomfortable. Maybe mm. realized, oh, hang on, like, why am I doing this? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is, this is not who I am. Exactly. Even no, George and Elaine, or George calls him out yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm just trying to think what she might have on him. Maybe the sex is really good. Must be. Yeah, you know? Maybe. Like... Good, good sex can make you do things that <laughs> might be a bit out of character. Like I've, I've stayed in some bad relationships or relationships I wasn't happy in, mm, yeah, because yeah. you know we're all a bit shallow sometimes. And the sex <laughs> was really good, and I'm like, oh, but you know, in the end, that doesn't count for enough to stay in the relationship. So maybe it's some, that's just you know, that's what I've experienced. So you know, I don't know. I could see that in his situation. And Jerry is very shallow. <laughs> you know, he would put up with a lot of stuff that he wouldn't ordinary like for good sex. He's mm. a bit of a you know, bit of a hound dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, other than that, she's not really in the episode all that much. She's kind of annoying. I don't really like her character. Um, uh, well, I think she served the purpose of yeah. it. And, you know, she's meant to be annoying. Yeah. Even annoying to the viewer as yeah. well. I think that was the the intent. And, you know, we've, we've seen Alexandra play, you know, shitty, you know, not shitty, but really annoying characters, especially in Trial and Error. We yeah. saw her in that. And she was a bit, she a bit wasn't shallow. as affectionate, but she was very shallow and yeah. very annoying as well. Very materialistic very and vacuous. Mater- yes. Yeah. Um, I could almost see... Sheila being like a cat person. Mm. I don't know. Do you get? Do you get? You know, sometimes cat you meet vibes. people and you just get like not like crazy cat lady or anything stereotypical, but you know, I don't know. Some personalities just yell out to me. You probably like cats. Oh, okay. I could just, well. I could just imagine her having two or three cats and referring to her cats as her children. How many cats do you reckon she has? Maybe Double? just two. Two. Okay. I don't think she's like crazy. You know, like that stereotypical character of like a crazy deranged cat lady who has like twenty-seven cats. But I think she just is a. A cat person. Maybe that's why Sheila's over at Jerry's all the time. Yeah. Not the other way around, because uh, Jerry doesn't like the cats. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Other than that, that's all I really have about it. Yeah, We yeah. probably said some more stuff in the first episode. But we're archiving it. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist. The first episode is archived. <laughs> so don't, like we said at the start, don't listen to that. <laughs> listen to this. 
But yeah, if you want to, if you want to go back and listen to our shitty voices, then uh, yeah, go for your life. <laughs> your loss, mate. You, you'll lose an hour and a half of your life. That's it. <laughs> you'll never get back. Uh, let's yeah. talk about who. Uh, finally, oh, I only have notes now on Bob and Cedric. Yep. Um, played by, uh, well, Bob rather. He was played by Yul Vasquez. He's the Latino uh, part man in the couple. Uh, he's appeared in Bad Boys 2, The A-Team, and Runaway Bride. And he's Cedric. Oh, I thought he... No, oh, is no, he Bob? No, no, he's Bob. Is he? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And Cedric is the white guy. Uh, uh, he used to be known as Ray in a previous episode. Oh, no, he's known later on as Ray. Okay. He's known as... Uh, so, So it's it's actually Bob and Ray in later episodes. In the Puerto Rican day. Yeah, and that's also... right. And also in, a, in the, the ribbon episode. Yeah. Who was not wearing their ribbon? Yes. You know. Um, Isn't that the Puerto Rican day? No, it was something else. Oh, no, that's the AIDS walk. Yeah, that's right, the AIDS walk. I forgot the episode name. But um, he was known in this episode as Cedric, because they Ah, make their debut in this episode. Right, and Um, then he's renamed Bob and Ray. Ray, Ray, that's right. Um, So Cedric slash Ray, uh, he was played by John Paragon. He's most famous for his work on the show Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, He played Jambi the Genie. And uh, he's been nominated for daytime Emmys for his writing and direction on the show. Okay. For a couple of episodes. I never watched Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah, it was before my time. I don't think it was the thing here in Australia. Nah, nah, it's probably more in America. I only remember thing. Pee-wee Herman because of the sex controversy. Oh, okay. He was caught. Was he having sex with the talking couch? No, I think he had like a... Maybe. <laughs> he was shagging the couch. Oh, not again, Mr. Pee-wee. Oh, Mr. No. Herman. <laughs> Hashtag me too. <laughs> Poor couch. Poor couch. Poor couch. Uh, yeah. Um... What were we talking about? Bob and Ray. Bob and Cedric. Yeah, Bob and Ray. Or Bob I think I think Cedric. it's... I don't know. I can't remember if they actually confirm it outright or if it's just implied in common knowledge that they are a couple. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's ambiguous as Smithers, you know, it's implying true. that he's gay. Obviously, Smithers is gay. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's overly implied. Well, in the, just on that, in The Simpsons, and this is me being a stickler <laughs> for detail. Yeah. In The Simpsons, Smithers has... The writers of... Uh, I think, or some of the showrunners have actually said he's not exclusively homosexual. He's Burns sexual. Oh, he's so just he's, in love with, he's Mr. In love Burns. with Mr. Burns. But right. there are there are episode scenes that contradict that, like when he goes to Club Med. Yeah, when he goes on to the, on that vacation and, that Burns forces him on. Yeah, yeah and, the, and he's the, at the gay the gay club. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. he can't talk about it on the phone. That's right. And the episode where Homer shows his homophobia, I think it's called Homer's phobia. Oh, and then he goes, "Oh, hi, John." John yeah, Morris. he's yeah, like, yeah, "We used to date," or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's implied. Yeah. So yeah, Bob and Cedric clearly a couple. Yeah, I think Bob is the. Dominant one in the relationship, I Definitely. guess you'd say. What Cedric's you... a sub. <laughs> no, he's, a, he's a bottom. A bottom. Yeah. Cedric's a bottom. Yeah. And Bob's, Bob's a top. I, I can imagine Bob's a very aggressive top. Yeah, he's a top. <laughs> yeah. Very aggressive. Well, that's too. a common dynamic in, mm. well, in a lot of relationships. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, in homosexual men relationships, there is often a top and a bottom, and yeah. it's based on, uh, you know, domination and submission and personality types. And of course. That yeah. is clearly shown in their personal, <laughs> in their dynamic on screen. And Bob definitely holds the reins. Um, yeah. <sighs> Maybe so even literally. Yes. Uh, well, they obviously like armoires. They probably like French old antiques. I reckon they'd have a house full of... I reckon antiques. they have, like, quite a lot of money. Yeah, okay. You know, like, yeah. from where, I don't know, um, there's no obvious indicators about, you know, their jobs. Maybe, or maybe Bob's work. a nightclub owner. Probably owns a gay bar or something. Yeah. He looks like the kind of, like, nightclub owner. And he's dressed in leather and he's got chains. And yeah. I could see him as, like, sitting in, like, his nightclub at one in the morning having mm. some martinis, you know, yep. on the house. And he's sitting with his... With Cedric and his buddies, or maybe I think Cedric, or it's probably the more introverted one. He probably likes staying home and yeah. you know doing his own thing. Whereas uh, Bob's like to likes to get out. He's there the extrovert. And, yeah, he's like a nightclub promoter or something. Yep. I don't know. I could probably see that. I think they balance each other out. I could they imagine do. Bob having maybe more of a 
not criminal, but definitely a, a sketchy past, and maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe Cedric sort of legitimized him a bit and he, like sort uh, of yeah. set him on the straight and narrow a bit more. But he's still got that sort of attitude of his old older life. I would compare Bob to Omar in The Wire. Okay, you know Omar, he's a gay character. You seen The Wire? Mm, I've seen some of it. Okay, so there's one of the main characters. His name's Omar, and he's like this gangster. Um, you know, this tough guy and he kills people and, you yep. know, and he's got a, like a heart of gold though, yep. but he's a gay character. Right. And so that was, and that's an interesting dynamic. I feel like if you watch The Wire or if you do listen to The Wire, you probably understand. He's probably not as sinister as Omar. He doesn't kill people and stuff. Yeah. But uh, Bob, yeah, he definitely probably got involved in some gang activity in the past. And um, yeah, maybe because of his homosexuality, you know, sometimes in, in those circles, it's kind of seen as not an appropriate thing. So maybe he fell out because of. Yeah. His homosexuality, or he came out and he said, I can't be part of this gang, they'll kill me or yeah. they'll ostracize me. So maybe he decided to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I he think- met and he met Cedric or, or Ray. Somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. I reckon Cedric slash Ray is sort of even though he's like a, a participant in his like obnoxious behaviour and mm. stealing armoires and, you know, beating people up for not flying a f- or for burning a flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I guess is fair enough. Because oh, um, yeah. uh, obviously he, he sounds like he's Puerto Rican. Yeah. 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 I imagine that's why he takes it personally. Yeah, definitely. Um I think part of his aggression as well is maybe him having to, you know, he grew up in the 70s and 80s in New York and it's a lot better now, but, you know, during those times... Would have been tough. Yeah. Um, and I think he had to overcompensate to sort of just to stand up for himself and his maintain, even though it would have been easier in the 90s, uh, I think he still would have copped a lot of homophobia oh, and yeah. that and yeah. that sort of just would have traumatized him and permanently changed his behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he's gotten a bit tougher. Yeah. Yeah, on yep. the streets. And he became a street tough. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't ignore him. It doesn't excuse him, you know, just stealing armoires and then getting in Kramer's face when Kramer... All Kramer does is just sort of put his nose in and say, uh, hey, guys, what's going on? Like, what yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. It's like, we are taking this. Are taking I don't want to do his accent, but... Um, <laughs> no, no, we are taking this. <laughs> yeah. End of story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I Are really you like, talking to me? I like the taxi driver reference. Are yeah. you talking... Are, are you, and Cedric says, are you talking to me? And well, Bob goes, hey, I think he's talking to me. Are you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really like their characters. They are in my top 10 secondaries. Yeah, they are, actually. I think you, they're you're number three or four. Okay, yeah, they're pretty high they're up. They're up there. They were in my top 20, but then obviously since we've done yeah. that one... They've been, been pushed others. out. They've been pushed out, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all I've got on all the secondaries from the Same. Yeah. yeah. Our re-gifted episode to you. Uh, um full HD version of the Soup Nazi. <laughs> um, so for me, the Soup Nazi uh, at the time of recording is at number eight in my episodes of all time out of 89 that we've done. And uh, yeah, it still stays at number eight. Yeah. yeah. Bob and Cedric, I think, are number three or four. I haven't got the list in front of me okay, um, yeah. and I haven't checked it in a while, but because yeah, um, yeah. nothing's changed in quite a while, so I haven't had a reason to. <laughs> Fair call. Um, but yeah, uh, they were in the top five from the get-go and they haven't really shifted. They've been pushed down a few spots from some of the characters we've covered. Yeah. Um, you know, Alton Bennis and uh, Jack Clomper. Yeah, definitely. And a couple of others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they'll, w- once we've finished all these Seinfeld episodes, I still think uh, Ray and Cedric, oh, sorry, Bob and Ray slash Bob and Cedric will still be in the top 10. Yeah. For me, Yev Kasim is number four yep. in my top 20. And he's basically been there since the start. Yeah. When we started doing top 10s, I think five or 10 episodes yeah. in, he was like number one. Yeah. And then uh, number three is Uncle Leo, which we did recently. Uh, Frank Costanza, which we did way like at Episode the start 10. of this. Yeah, yeah. And then George Steinbrenner, we did about halfway through the, the series. Yep. Um, yeah, he's he's now uh, number four, and I think yeah, like Bob and Cedric, he'll probably be top five, top ten, easy. Yep. For the rest.
rest of the show's run. For sure. 100%. Yep. Indeed. Well, uh, that's it. Thank you for listening to this uh, re-gifted version of The Soup Nazi. Hope yeah. you enjoy it. Yeah, we hope so too. And especially because obviously since episode one, we've gained a lot more listeners and followers and people getting at us and talking to us and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we thought, you know what? The Soup Nazi is such an iconic character. We've got to give him some justice. For sure. So, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy this bonus episode along with your latest episode. If you're on Patreon, it's The Couch. And uh, if you're not, then it is The Note. Indeed. Yes. Uh, for our next bonus Patreon episode, we haven't decided exactly what we're going to do, but we're going to try and do something a bit out of the ordinary and a bit special. So uh, stay yeah. tuned for that. Still Seinfeld related. And of uh, you can listen to those episodes on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash B I D W B A S C. And you can sign up for two US dollars a month and get bonus goodies. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's go. It's done. That's done. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name's Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And we'll see you next week for insert episode here, <laughs> depending on what format you're on. Yes. Yes. Take care. Bye.